Hi, I'm Peter Smith, and you're listening to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome to episode 55 of the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm Fabio Molly, your host. This week, I speak to legendary college coach Peter Smith. Peter won five NCAA titles with USC and has been recently working with Steve Johnson and Sam Querrey on the Pro Tour. It's a super episode. Before we get started, I'm very excited to say that a product I've wanted to launch for many years is finally available. Ever since the designer of our logo showed me samples of our logo on a cap, I've been on the search for a great manufacturer. And after countless emails, Zoom calls and samples, I found the one. They made the process effortless and the outcome is amazing. We have an on-court and an off-court version of the hat. The on-court is light, breathable and washes well. And the off-court is more structured, breathable and looks great. You can head over to functionaltennis.com and check them out. Feedback so far has been awesome. And yeah, I've been wearing one now for about a month and absolutely love them. Finally, a shout out to our podcast sponsor's head. Okay, let's get chatting to Peter. Hi, Peter. Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. Well, I mean, you're the man when it comes to all this stuff, Fabio. So it's my pleasure to be on and, uh, you know, excited to chat with you and uh, to be on the podcast. I don't know if I'm the man. It's all about winning matches. And I'm not sure what, what help I have helping players win matches. That's where you've carved your career. So I'm really excited to have you on. And ever since, was it Brett Massey was on here? He was like, you got to get Peter on. You got to get Peter on. So it's taken probably 30 episodes, all probably down to me because you said, get me on anytime. So I'm glad to finally have you on. Well, like I said, it's a pleasure. So, you know, hopefully I can I can say something that, help someone or that's worth listening to. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure you can. So let's start, first of all, with your college tennis success. How many years were you head coach at USC? I was a head coach at USC for 17 years. I was the head coach in college for 32 years. I coached at Long Beach State where I played, Fresno State, Pepperdine, and University of Southern California. So all within... California's borders, and uh, so you know, was was a real honor to coach at all four of those universities. Well, was Dave Mullins didn't have to be at Fresno State when you were there? No, he was after. He was after, but I, I know Dave. Yeah, I certainly. I think he played for. Uh, oh God, man! Oh, was he not Fresno? No, he was at Fresno. Yeah, he was at Fresno. Yep. And now he's back working for the ITA. He's doing a great job yeah, with college lucky, tennis. Lucky, yeah, no, it's it's lucky. And, you know, I mean, a little bit about me that you don't know is my dad was born and raised in Cavan County. So I'm uh, I'm very much Irish. Oh, wow. And yeah, so uh, that's, yeah, I've never been to Ireland. I mean, it's crazy. I was born in Rome, Italy, and I left when I was two weeks old. And uh, I've never been back and I'm Irish or 50% Irish. And I've, I was there when I was very young, but, you know, I've traveled the world, but I've never been to those two places. You were probably meant to be at Rome with Steve this year. You know, and maybe that'll still happen. We don't know. So we'll, we'll see what, what the future holds. I mean, I, I really hope the tour can start up with Washington and they can put this 
the correct safety protocols in place and and really for the most part just get everyone back working because it's this huge industry um that supports a lot of different people and you know not only the players but you know the tv crews and the tournament organizers and you know so many people involved in running the kind of tournaments they play yeah no it's definitely a lot of people are on the sidelines just waiting for things to pick up well it wasn't a plan to touch on this subject in this interview with you but what is your thoughts on tournaments starting back and whole procedures that are in place player team sizes and what's happened in Croatia with Novak and now the case in the States as well with Francis. What are your general thoughts on that? I think, you know, this. a lot of sports are starting up. I think it can be done if you put the correct safety procedures in place. You know, I'm not going to comment on on what happened, you know, over in, in Europe, but I know at Atlanta, they put a lot of safety precautions in place. Um, but you know, still they learned a lot. We learned a lot from, you know, what happened in Serbia. And I think they've learned even more with Atlanta. Um, I, I think the, the mistake they made in Atlanta was they tested all the guys, but they didn't test them the day before. So obviously, Francis did not get COVID from the tournament because it happened on the first day. Um, it just doesn't happen that quickly. So he had been tested um yeah, I think a week before. And so, you know, they just need to test. I don't know if it's daily, but they should definitely test everyone when they arrive to the tournament. And uh, but uh, other than that, you walk away. I mean, I think it's a, a it's actually a great lesson that someone had COVID and, and we'll see. But it appears at this point, and maybe it's too early to say that no one else got it also. So if no one else gets COVID, I think that's a victory that they had someone there that had it and it didn't spread. So again, it's probably too early to say for sure, but I know Steve and Sam have been tested repeatedly since that that day last Friday. And again, it's too early to say for sure, but so far they've, they've tested negative and so has everybody, all the participants. Yeah, well, look, uh, hopefully... As you say, sorry, they're learning all the time. So by the time tournaments, when they're planned to start, hopefully there'll be better procedures in place. And I can't see if protocol is followed, they should run smoothly. And it'd be amazing to see because we're lacking some good competitive tennis. I've been following a bit of the ultimate tennis showdown at the Mortoglu Academy. I think it's been good, a bit of fun. I, I think it's been incredible. I've really enjoyed it. I mean, you know, we, we experimented or talked about experimenting with so many different formats in college tennis. And that was one of the formats we talked about. And to me, on paper, it looked too strange to actually implement. But I thought it was pretty, pretty cool to see quarters. And, you know, it, was, it looked like basketball. The one, the only thing I didn't like was like, you get three points for a winner only at a certain time. I wouldn't mind saying, hey, two points for a winner the whole time. Yeah, that's you know, exciting. I don't know what that would do to it, but I think it's a little gimmicky to say, all right, you know, I, I don't know in any other sport, do you get more points at a certain time? You know, and that, that yeah, that that's a little strange, but uh, I thought it was a, a great concept and, and good for them for trying it. 
Yeah, no, I think he was getting a bit slated at the start. What's he doing? But I think it's worked out well. Their social media coverage has been the best of any of those tournaments out there. The court angles are great. People are loving the behind the player angles. Seems to be Richard Gasquet's backhands have been the show of the tournament. Unbelievable. He's been nailing them. Unbelievable. Rippers down the line. Oh, he's incredible. So that's been great. It's done great for him, but overall it's been really good. And But excited to see some proper tournament, high stakes tennis on the comeback. Yeah, yeah, it's it's good. And, you know, I don't think Wimbledon's going to use that format anytime soon, no. but I do think there's a time and a place for it. And uh, certainly now is the time to give it a go. Okay, well, Peter, let's uh, get back to your college tennis success. What do you think made you such a successful coach? Was it five NCAA titles you got with USC? Yeah. Yes, we were fortunate to win five team titles. Stevie won two um, singles titles. And Robert Farah, who's now number one in the world in doubles, and Case Fanoff won one doubles title. Well, I mean, (laughs) what's supplied that success was the players. You know, I I do think coaches help, but at the end of the day, it's the player that hits the serve or the return or the passing shot or the volley. So, you know, the players, players win championships, period. Um, So recruiting the right players, mentoring them, helping them, you know, get in that position to have a chance to be successful you know, that that's a coach's responsibility. But in the end, it's the players. So I was incredibly fortunate to have incredible players play for me um, that, you know, I think I provided a, a great environment for and hopefully an environment that helped them be successful. True. Uh, but as you say, it's the players. But as you mentioned there, it's the recruit, recruiting the players. You got to sell them the story. And obviously, you're very good at that to be able to recruit some great players, to see the great players and know these guys are going to be good here. Is it that you know they're going to be good or you're taking a, cha- a big chance on them? Right. I mean, I, I think there's there's always a leap. There's a leap of faith for the player and there's a leap of faith for the coach. And, you know, I always said it was never a business deal. It was more of a marriage. You know, you can't have it all together and and there's got to be trust and there's got to be, you know, people communicating and doing all those sorts of things that makes relationships successful. And, uh, you know, I, I never thought I was a good recruiter. I tried to always just be incredibly honest and straightforward and, and tell them the pluses and the minuses. And some kids buy into that and some kids want that and some don't. And some want maybe something different, but they still come. You know, it's, it's you know, not every player you have is like Steve Johnson or any of the other, you know, hundreds of successful kids that I've had. Uh, but, you know, hopefully you're you're kind of winning more battles than you're losing on the recruiting front. Uh, but when you have such a powerful place like USC or really any of the other schools and what these schools are offering, you know, if you get a full scholarship or a good scholarship to a school like Fresno State, that's a huge win. And, uh, you know, kids, you know, I think they're they're starting to see the value of education because opportunities are drying up on the pro tour. Um, but, yeah, those those guys all took a chance on me. 
And, you know, I in turn took a chance on them and just, you know, really happy it worked out for both of us. And you just want to have more wins than losses, <laughs> success stories than not success stories. But, you know, it's it's never perfect. And tell me, what made Steve Johnson so successful at, in college the four years he had there? Obviously, he was national champ every year. He keep Like many players would have just won one national champ and gone pro, as has happened. He stayed on for the four, which was amazing. Well, I think, you know, watching Stevie play last weekend in Atlanta, when Steve competes for a team, he's a team guy. And, you know, he's just a different person. And he needs a real reason to play. The bigger the reason, the more he rises up. And he's not someone that feels the need to do it for himself. So when he has a chance to do it for others, then things don't bother him. You know, there are always issues you're going to have in a day, in a match. And Stevie is was able to just overcome that. And and really, he was the best competitor I ever saw. You know, when he played for me at USC, it was it was incredible. He was really just you name the athlete. It was give him the ball. He's going to get it done. And and he did every time. And I, you know, I can't think of a time where he, he failed even, even as a freshman, he was always coming through. And, you know, when he had the, he played for the team, it was, it was everything he could do to get the job done. And what was it like him arriving the first year as a freshman and did he take control of the team or did he? raise the level of the team? What what was the, the other guys, the seniors, were they like, oh, who's this guy now? Well, we, you know, I mean, Stevie was a good junior, uh, but not a great junior. He certainly was not one of the best juniors USC ever recruited. And, you know, if, if anybody was going to say, uh, you know, oh, we saw this come in, I, I knew he was going to be, the, you know, have the most star-studded career of any college athlete in tennis ever. I mean, that's a lie. You know, there were a lot of question marks. He was a really nice kid. And he was kind of like a chubby kid with a mullet. And, you know, you're like, I knew, though, because living in Southern Cal, I knew that whenever he played in a team event representing Southern Cal, he never lost. I did have that information. I had talked to people about that, that he was incredible in those team events. I knew he went to traditional high school. I knew he played high school tennis. I watched him win CIF championships for his high school. So I knew he had that component, you know. Um, but I, I do remember him practicing against Case Vanhoff, who was like the Superman before the real, you know, he was like Clark Kent and, and then Stevie was like Superman. But they practiced in like October, you know, so school starts last week in August. You know, so like six weeks in, I'm like, I wonder, you know, how good is Stevie going to be? So Case was like two or three the year before. Uh, he, 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 he always gets mad at me. Case is a very successful guy doing incredibly huge success in the business world. But, you know, he always, yeah, I never played one. I said, yeah, you played one. I played you one. You never put me one. 
but Case Case was a big force on the team. So I had Case and Stevie play each other in practice, and I I remember that day very clearly. And I'm like, hmm, let's see how good Stevie is. And I remember Stevie beat him seven six six three. I mean, that's incredible. I remember that score, and I was like, hmm. Maybe this kid is going to be good. <laughs> That's good. That's good. genius tennis coach on the sideline calling that one. But, you know, once, once Stevie start, started competing, you're like, holy cow, who is this guy? Like, where did this animal come from? I mean, he was just a competitive beast. And he would, he would find ways to get fired up, find ways to have a chip on his shoulder you know, find ways to get motivated. And, and he wasn't okay with just beating a guy. He wanted to like crush their soul. <laughs> oh God. I was like, I, I mean, I, I called his dad and I'm like, your dad, your kid's the biggest MF I've ever met in a tennis in court. And he's the biggest pussycat off the court. And his dad's like, that's how I raised him. I'm like, well, give me that secret. But, uh, you know, he, he was, he was a special, special competitor. Did he tell you the secret? He didn't tell me the secret, Oh no! but I will say this about Stevie. He never got nervous. He never got nervous. I went with him to the U S open one year and he was playing qualies and, you know, I coached him for two years already and he lost first round to an Israeli player. Um, and he walked off the court and he goes, oh my God, I was nervous. And I was like, who cares? Like, of course you're nervous. It's the US Open. He goes, no, you don't understand. I've never been nervous before. I looked at him like, you're lying. What, what are you talking about? You've never been nervous. You know, I get nervous in a baseline game of practice. I want to win. He's like, no, I've never had that feeling before. So he is able in certain situations to put a lot of things aside. And I do think when he is competing for a team, he only sees the positives and he's able to really just raise his game up. That's an amazing ability. And going back to the competitiveness, do you think obviously that comes from the family? Is it something you're born with through circumstances? And can you get competitive, more competitive? So would you see one of your college kids and as they've gone through their 20s they've become more competitive or is it something that doesn't increase yes i i you know i look everybody starts out with different levels of talent quickness intelligence emotional iq competitiveness but you know those things are fostered in, in their environment and obviously you know stevie's parents michelle and steve senior really fostered that environment. I really believed and and do believe still that when you coach, you can coach competitiveness. You know, I believe when I had my college teams, especially that we competed on a daily basis. You know, you had to explain competition to the guys and you had to talk about competition, but we also did other sports like play Frisbee, we call it disc, but ultimate Frisbee. And, and to see like competition in another form, I always thought helped the guys because tennis is kind of this abstract sport where you're kind of by yourself out on the court and you get stuck in your own head. I think when you play another sport, I think a lot of tennis players have played other sports. And I do think when they play other sports, they can understand competition 
at a different in a different way in a different light and i and i do think a lot of the great pros have played other sports and see competition in a different way and i think that's a a big help uh, but we compete we always competed every single day and in my attitude always as a coach was i was a competitor i'm not afraid of anyone bring it on personally and in my team. But how do you ultimately train that? If you have a guy, let's say, who is number four, number three or four, but he can, he's missing that competitive edge. He just, you know, that little bit more competitive edge will bring him to the next level. How would you go out and train that in somebody tomorrow? I think, look, if you have someone from the age of 10 on, you can make huge strides. But when you get someone 18, maybe, you know, maybe it's like a three to 5% difference, which can be a huge thing. And some guys, you know, it's just very hard to bring out. Most guys have that competitive spirit. It's refining it. And, and there is no like, you know, ABC formula. It's a, it's a relationship uh, between the player and the coach. And it's an honest relationship. And the player needs to feel like he's being heard and being trusted. And the coach has to give out this feeling of, I, I very much care for you. I not only care for your tennis, but I care for about everything in your life. And, you know, and, and once players understand that, they're able to let down their guard. You know, with someone like Stevie, you know, we really believed in all the same things. He handed me a lot of the responsibility for his tennis. And, you know, then I just didn't screw it up. And, you know, he made me, let me make a lot of decisions for him and he trusted my decisions. And then that freed him up to go out there and play. But, you know, how are you feeling at add out? How are you feeling at add in? Like, talk to me about your feelings when people are able to be honest in a open, trusting relationship, then you can build upon, you know, what they already have and hopefully take them to to greater heights. Like I said, does that work with everyone? No, but you know, it, it hopefully you're you're impacting way more than you're not. But it it does start with trust and it open a relationship. And someone needs to say, Yeah, I'm scared because of this, this, and this. And then you have a a, a conversation around those things. And then hopefully you can get them to a point where they're realizing that maybe some of their fears are not, you know, because fear is like a figment of your imagination. You know, it's, it's, it's like you thinking you're this great person or player or coach. I mean, that's a joke. You know, if you're a great player, you, you got to go out and earn it every day. You got to go out and prove it every day. If you're a great coach, you're coaching a kid. They don't really care what you did last year they want you to know that you're all in with them and you're going to give them that person their very best so i i don't care if it's a a 10 year old kid that i'm coaching or a 32 year old pro they have to know that you have their best interests at heart and when you have that kind of a relationship then great things can come of that but without that relationship, nothing is going to happen. True. And I, I think 
that's really, really important what you're saying. And I'm sure there's been a lot of great coaches with uh, players who've had long-term relationships. They've grown up playing with them and it's because there's those open relationships and there's no trust issues and they both, they see it as it is and they help each other out. And that's why maybe the player has gone to excel at certain levels. Yeah, I, I think I think with all these great players that you see, most of them had a great mentor in their life that was they were able to trust and and they're able to grow from that person. Yeah, and open up to I think that's really important. But but just getting back to the competitiveness, one do you think the top players, the more you move up the rankings, the more competitiveness they have in them? No, you know, sometimes being too competitive is can be a negative. You know, you know, I think great competitors relish the moment. Look, we can talk about maybe the greatest competitor ever in Rafael Nadal. You don't ever get the sense in watching Rafa that he does not relish every moment. And he recognizes and appreciates it. You know, I, you know, I've had the fortune of being in a small group with Rafa and, you know, the question's been asked, how, how did you do this? How do you do this? And Rafa said, you know, everybody always wants to know the end answer, but really the question is, how am I going to do it tomorrow? And I'm going to do it tomorrow with joy and, and hopefully I learn something. So he goes, and when you do that for 10, 20 years, you have a chance at greatness. So I, I do think a lot of people complicate it uh, by, you know, we all, we all want to know the end of the story, but relishing the journey, relishing the day-to-dayness of it is, is really the story in itself. And some people really like that. You know, I mean, I don't even like to call it the grind, right? Oh, this is a grind. I think it's a negative connotation. Like, certainly not every player runs to the court and just loves that moment of training. But, you know, every day is a little bit of a test, you know, no matter what you're doing. And, and you got to, you know, have the correct attitude to do the best job you can on that test. And I think someone like, Rafa obviously was very much impacted by Uncle Tony, uh, but you know I'm sorry, Uncle Tony's not going to make the greatest player one of the greatest players of all time out of every player he's coached. You know, it's a it's this great meeting of you know talent and you know passion and and then you. you yeah. And then you provide that environment that a coach can give and then you have a chance at greatness. And tell me, speaking of like the journey and enjoying the journey, and it's not about the end point, you obviously know players who've retired. Do they ultimately miss the grind? On the, I'm going to use the word the grind, but the grind on the tour. I think what they miss is two things. I think they miss the camaraderie. You know, and, and there's a there's a real camaraderie on a team, obviously, and there's a real camaraderie um, in the locker room on the pro tour and in the, the players eating area. I think a lot of guys are happy to see each other. And, and I think they really miss the competition. 
you know, uh, you know, if you're talking to a 40 year old guy who used to compete, you know, that, that competition, feel, having that feeling, you know, that's something I always really enjoyed and, and, and still really find a lot of enjoyment when right now I'm coaching Steve Johnson and Sam Quarry. If, if they're playing a match, I was watching their matches last week on TV, you know, that feeling of like, okay, this is, I have a piece of this. I have impacted this player. Maybe it's a very little amount, maybe, but I have helped set the stage for this. And so they are, you know, representing a little portion of me. And how is that going to go? And so, you know, when that's out there for the world to see, that's exciting. That's really exciting. And so that's, that's competition. And, you know, as a coach, you know, that's something you relish and, and really enjoy. At Functional Tennis, we are all about helping your tennis game get 1% better every day. That's why our match and practice journals are a great tool to have in your gear bag. The Functional Tennis match and practice journals help you plan and evaluate your matches and practice sessions. It includes goal setting, quotes, pressure tests and more. It's used by players of all ages and levels and it's a great way to get away from your phone and focus in on your game. To learn more, visit functionaltennis.com. And do you think that's why so many of them do so well in the business world? Like the guy, you've had the guys on the team who haven't gone pro and they've gone straight to New York to to work in finance. And so many of the top college players seem to do so well in the business world. I think they're doing better now. Um, I think when I was younger, they weren't going in the business world. They weren't getting the great education that a lot of them are getting now. But, you know, I have my middle son, Riley Smith, who, you know, was a, is a fine player, two-time All-American at SC, got to the finals of doubles of the U.S. Open, lost to Chapo and Felix, but he's, you know, had some success and, you know, he's studying to get his master's in accounting business at USC right now. And, you know, he is maturing to the point where, he's getting competitive in these accounting classes. And he said, and, and that to me is amazing. So when these guys go into business, they need to turn that competitive spirit that they had for tennis into the business world. And if they can make that you know, transition and translation into another avenue, which is business, then they can kill it. And I think employers, if I was an employer, I would be looking at athletes first because they know how to focus and they know how to compete. And those are, that is key in the business world. No, very true. We've had quite a few Irish players go over to the States and on scholarship and they get quite good universities and they always tend to, the ones that don't go pros go into business and it's been a handful that have done extremely well of various ages. So it's great to see them, as you say, convert that competitive energy from the tennis court into their work life there are so many opportunities here in the states it's so many internationals have taken advantage of it and i loved coaching international players because they understood the opportunity in front of them more so than the american kids i can see that and also while you just mentioned there your sons you three sons two you coached and one is currently at usc 
What was it like coaching your sons in the team environment? Well, you know, I said all the time, it was 95% joy and 5% sheer hell. You know, it's a, it's a tricky balance because you're coaching a team. I was very hard on my sons, uh, but, you know, I was, I'd be hard on a lot of players and expected a lot of players, but I never did it out in front. And I, I didn't, I wouldn't say I was perfect in that regard, but my goal was never to embarrass or demean a player ever. And certainly in front of his teammates, but you know, sometimes I probably should have been a little tougher on my kids in front of their teammates. Uh, so they could see that, that expectation I had for them. But you know, 95% sheer joy was, that's a pretty good one. Winning national championships, seeing kids become successful, watching boys turn into men were all just incredible experiences that I felt over 32 years. Um, but, you know, having that relationship with my kids uh, through tennis was exceptional. And, you know, I, I never actually really dreamed of having them on my team. But when they wanted to come to USC, you know, I, I was not certainly not going to stand in their way. And, uh, you know, it's it's enabled us to have this incredibly close relationship um, that we have to this day. But, you know, I coached two of them. The third one, Coulter, you know, was a freshman this year. He'll be a sophomore next year. I, you know, I've had a ton of great experiences with my boys because, you know, we played all the father-son tournaments together. And when you're competing side by side like that, it's uh, it's this incredible relationship. You know, we won some national championships. I won national championships with all three of them. And we've also had some really painful losses. You can't enjoy one without the other. Uh, if, if all you did was win, you know, that wouldn't actually be that much fun. Losing makes winning fun. And, and the pain of losing, which we have experienced and everybody's experienced, drives you to winning. And when you win after losing, it's incredibly enjoyable and fulfilling. And I would say the same for coaching. I, I learned a lot over the years, you know, coaching at Long Beach State and Fresno State and Pepperdine. And we certainly had our successes, but we never won the NCAAs and we were in positions. And so I was always learning. And so when we came to these moments, I li always like to say I didn't screw it up. You know, I learned from my earlier failures or earlier missteps and just, uh, you know, made very slight adjustments, but yeah. Nice. And I wonder, like my background, let's say we, we had a family business and our, the dinner table with the family was always business talk and sometimes it's okay. And sometimes you have guests over and there'd be still business talk and it nearly has to be banned. What was the the dinner table talk like? Was, would it all be tennis or would it be a ban on tennis? You know, I, uh, uh, <laughs> my wife would have a different opinion on this. I tried very hard not to bring it in. Uh, to the house, she would say you <laughs> you were unsuccessful a lot of times. But you know, when the kids were younger, they wanted to know everything about the team. You know, who's winning this challenge match, and you know, it, it was always just this great thing to talk about with the team. As as the as the kids get older, you know, it's uh, hopefully we have more. <laughs> 
a little bit more to talk about at the dinner table, but I would say our dinner table is always filled with laughter. We have, you know, a great tradition at our, our, our dinner table is that everybody needs to speak. And this was done at a very young age. And they all talked about the best part of their day. And a lot of times it would be two or three things. And so having that experience, you know, talking about what I would say, your wins of the day, your victories of the day is, is all about building on that success for the next day. And, you know, even when we're, we're going through the day and a good thing happens, you know, we, we kind of say to each other, oh, there's the best part of my day or can't wait to talk about that tonight at dinner. You appreciate it. You're registered. Yeah. You, you know, there's especially now, I mean, there's a lot of people going through some very tough times and I, I understand that and count your blessings and we count our blessings all the time. And if very true, no, it, it, it can be tough, but if obviously you handle it well, and I think you did a, you do a great job and that's some great advice there, getting everybody to speak out and getting to register and tell them the best part of their day, really good advice. But what advice would you have for listeners here who coach their kids? So parents who coach their kids, just a quick story. I remember well, I used to play with a guy under 14, 15, 16, and his dad was the coach. And this guy would have been one in the country under 14, 15, serving volley, really good. But it got to the stage where the dreaded father-son relationship kicked off and the guy after 16, 17 never played tennis again, wasted talent. But what do you think is good advice for parents to keep that relationship healthy and so they can both grow? Um, you know, my experience comes from my background, like all of ours. Um, I had a relationship with my father. Looking back on it as a 55-year-old man, I can appreciate it. But as a, you know, as a 13, 14-year-old little punk, I, I, maybe I didn't appreciate it as much as I can. My dad was on St. Patty's day. I always gave this speech about, you know, my dad taught me to be a competitor and he was a competitor in everything. If it was getting in a fist fight with the next door neighbor or whoever, the guy was a competitor. And I, you know, he was 50 when I was born and I didn't have a very good understanding of him. But looking back on it, you know, he's been passed away for some years. I can appreciate it, but in the middle of it, I couldn't. You know, so when my kids were born, I gave each of them a little speech, you know, that I would be the best possible father. And that was based on some of my experiences. You know, um, I also lost my oldest brother to AIDS, you know, very early in the in that pandemic. And so I had these kind of influences in my life. And, you know, I was just going to, it was more important for me to have the correct relationship with my kids than it was for them to be a great tennis player. And I'm so proud of my relationship with them. And also my wife had such a big influence on that. She was such a great mother and such a supportive wife, you know, but I never wanted my kids to be number one in the world in tennis. Of course, if they were number one in the world in tennis, I would be, of course, very excited. But I wanted them to learn about life through tennis. I saw so many kids at age 18 that were completely trashed from the sport, burned out, 
bad relationship with their father. Usually it was their father and just not in a good place. And for me, I just wanted tennis to always be a celebration of our life and our relationship. Does that mean I never lost my temper on them? I lost my temper on them many times. You know, I failed miserably many days as a parent and, and I was learning and I would say, you know, I would strongly suggest to any parent out there, don't be the coach. It's not worth it. Look, the biggest thing you can give your children is the relationship you have between you and them and give them self-confidence to give them that self-esteem that they're dying to have, which is way more important than a forehand or serve, I might add. Um, and, And then leave the other stuff up to the professional. The problem with being your kid's coach is at the end of the day, all they want is they want your approval. And that's very hard to give to a player every single day because if you are giving your player approval every day, look, I try and coach in the most positive way. I think if I have a lesson and I never say anything negative, it was a successful lesson. I think you can always make things very positive and you can still correct someone. But it's not always going to be that way. Some days, you know, you're going to say, hey, this wasn't good enough. And when you do that to your own kid, you crush them. And I don't think a parent should be doing that. You know, a parent should be saying, you know, you are great. I love watching you play. This is amazing. You know, you should be a, a huge fan. Look, certainly you have to correct your kids. And I have correct. I'm not trying to say you should be their buddy. You shouldn't be their buddy. But I think it's at odds. Like it's it's been done, obviously, and it's been done successfully. Uh, Wayne Bryan comes to mind. I, I studied Wayne when his kids were very young. I used to go to his academy and he is exceptional. But uh, there again, he had an incredible wife that did a lot of the stuff behind the scenes. But, you know, it's very hard. Uh, but I think all this, Jim Lair writes a great book about, you know, how you should coach tennis and tennis should be about teaching kids great morals, great, you know, you're always put to test on a tennis court. You got to call your own lines. You have another guy maybe potentially cheating you or playing gamesmanship. And when you can rise above that and let that stuff fall away, then you can play your very best. It's a real test of character. Oh, it's a huge test of character. Huge test, as is life. It plays life a lot on the tennis court, all, all the challenges that you have and how you can hold up against it and, as you say, overcome your sportsmanship competitor. <laughs> it's a very different sport. And you've seen this a little bit in some of these tournaments, you know, where you don't have a full lines crew in Atlanta. They were calling the lines and they were playing for real money. You know, and and you actually, I didn't see one bad call. I think the last thing any of those guys want to have is that tag that they, you know, gave a bad call, you know, but they were giving away calls. And, uh, you know, so that, you know, I I do think 
good people rise up in tennis. And I think if you're kind of a bad seed sometimes, it's harder for you to make it because you're not as accepted. And uh, I think certainly on the pro tour, the locker room can take care of that in so many different ways. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's Tennessee. Tennessee is great. And I'd agree with you also regarding the coaching of the kids. Try and stay away from it or even to a certain point and then you move them on to the to the pros so you can be their ultimate cheerleader and not get in the way of that. But let's quickly move on to life as a tour coach. Like now you're working with, you had been, you've been working with Steve a while now, the guts of over a year. I remember the US Open, you were with Steve. As it was, did Steve play? Was it, did you play Roger at the US Open? He played Roger at the Australian Open. Oh, the Australian. That's when I texted you and yeah. Roger was on fire that day. God, and I didn't think tennis could be played that well, actually. <laughs> yeah. I remember texting. I was like, oh, God, poor Steve. He can't do anything. Like, you know, it was out of his control. Yeah, it was It was too good. When he, he's chipping and charging on Stevie's first serve, I'm like, okay. Yeah. So, and lately you're working with Sam more recently. Yes. How does co- life on college tennis coaching compare to tour life coaching? Apart from the travel, we all know you got to travel a lot. But apart from that, it's the exact opposite. Uh, <laughs> when when I coached college tennis, uh, I was very much in charge. When I coached these guys on the tour, uh, they're very much in charge. Hopefully, at the end of the day, they're listening. They're paying me. But, you know, things change very quickly. When you're controlling the purse strings and giving them the money, there's a certain attitude people have towards you. And when they are controlling the purse strings and paying you and approving your salary, there's just a different relationship. And, you know, I think that's another reason why Uncle Tony worked so well with Rafa because Rafa never paid him. It was, it was a good deal. And I think just by nature, how they view you, uh, it's just completely different. Like, hey, I'm paying your salary, you know. So, but I think I know with Steve and Sam, you know, I have those moments. And and you better be good. That's all I got to say is because if you're not good, they're not going to put up with it. And so you better have be organized with practice, you know, have everything taken care of, all of, you know, whatever it is. Practice partner, court, rackets, Water, you got to you got to take care of all that. That's your responsibility, and then you better have a good practice plan. You know, I I plan a practice with those guys, much like I used to plan college practice. You know, I really I put time into it. I I put it in my computer. You know, ninety five percent of the practices that I have uh, with Steve and Sam are in my computer, uh, and it's nothing glamorous and. And you better be prepared to go out there and them to say, ah, I'd like to work on this. And then, you know, you have to be able to to move and, and you better not stay, you know, too grounded to any any plan you have because it can change and as well it should, you know, because if they're not feeling good about their slight backhand on a day like that, they've got to work on it. and You've got to be able to flow with that. But yeah, it's it's very different. But it's super exciting, 
super enjoyable when you have, you know, guys like Steven Sam who are, you know, they're very different people, Steven Sam, but you know, they're, they're great to work with and they have, they both have present certain challenges and they both present real joy. What happens first round US Open if Sam plays Steve? <laughs> I used to say, you know, could happen. It could happen. I used to say when my players were playing each other in the the finals, I can say this now. I never did it, obviously, but you know, I just put a beer in the Gatorade bottle and I sit back and I have a nice <laughs> pint while I watch them because yeah. I know no matter what, I can't win. lose. Yeah, I can't lose. Uh, you know, I. I I would That's probably great. not enjoy that too much. Uh, I would think. I think I would worry too much about what the loser is feeling or how I might screw up with my body language towards one person or another in the in the stands. But yeah, you know, uh, I guess in a in a very selfish way. I mean, only the coaches can understand this. Well, at least you know you're getting your your second round bonus from somebody. So. You know, but yeah, but yeah, it's <laughs> hopefully it's a great match and and they both play great. But, you know, we know in reality that's not always going to be the case. No. And did you ever have a highly competitive match with your children where they're playing each other? Well, we competed all the time. And I will tell you, as soon as they beat me, we never played again because I competed against my dad all the time and it. I didn't enjoy it. Um, and so, look, when you beat someone, you're never going to not beat them again, right? You know, so say Tanner yes. beats me. I think he was 16 when he beat me. I'm going to beat him. You know, it's not like he's going to go undefeated the rest of his life. You know, I was a, I was a really <laughs> good player and still consider myself a player. But, you know, but it was like, okay, now we're playing and, and really to beat someone, you've got to have that like 3%, anybody can think of that word, very tough competitor, you know, steely competitor. And sometimes that part of competition is maybe not the nicest part of being a human, you know, and you don't really want to unleash that on your kids. And so when they're beating you, you're actually inside, at least I was, going, loving it. Like, oh, great. We've we've been on the court all these years and now you're playing great and now you can beat me. So once they beat me, it was good. We never competed again. We played a lot. We, you know, would maybe play a baseline game or do different drills or different games, but we didn't play any sets. So with all three of them, the day they beat me was the last set we ever played. Uh, what about, though, what I actually meant originally the question was when, if they played each other, let's say at nationals, and we, we didn't, I never allowed it to happen. Uh, Riley used to get very mad. Because I think he played Tanner two or three times and we made Riley default every time. He's like, why are you making me default? I said, cause you're playing up, you know, you're like, if you're, you know, he, you're in the 14 and unders, but you're playing the 16 playing Tanner. It's not fair for Tanner to lose to you. So you have to default to him. Riley, Riley is one of the most competitive human beings I've ever met in my life. He uh, he didn't he didn't think that was <laughs> quite fair. 
That's got to hurt. So do you think Richard Williams let Serena Williams and Venus play it out? Who knows? I don't know. Oh, I, I, I think those, you know, you're talking about two of the greatest tennis players and greatest competitors of all time. I, I think if you put a governor, you know, if you try and restrict that competitive spirit, that's not very good for the competitive spirit. But, you know, and, and I got that lesson from different kids and different siblings that I coached and some, they played each other and it was the worst experience ever. And, you know, Wayne used to always say that, you know, Bob and Mike, they never played each other. That there was, it was just going to be a default for one of them. And I really agreed with that. And there's no way, uh, I mean, heck I've seen fistfights on the courts between my two boys. That was, you know, (laughs) Yeah, there's there's different, you know, I had three brothers. I understand that sibling rivalry and it's it's not always very (laughs) constructive, healthy or uh, logical. No, so you're right. Do whatever you can to prevent that. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to end, I'm going to end this, Peter, with just asking you for a bit of advice for juniors. So juniors out there, top national juniors, 15, 16 year olds who either want to go pro or go to college, who I'm sure you get asked all the time by parents to give their kids advice. What what advice do you give them? Well, I, I give the same advice Rafa gave. Uh, find joy in your next workout and uh, find a reason to love tennis. Because after a while, you know, you're going to go through a point where you're injured or you're losing and everybody has that downturn. And if you're only playing to win, and look, when, when very successful su- successful kids play, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, it's all upside. They're always playing, you know, they can always play a higher age division. At some point, you know, you're going to lose <laughs> to someone younger than you. And when that happens, it's not fun. And so you got to find ways to love tennis. And hopefully that's through a great mentor or a great coach someone that you can talk to, you know, sometimes it can be a parent, but I would really count against that, uh, go against that, but, you know, just find that joy and find that friendship and find the reason to go to the court to just enjoy tennis, uh, and not so much the other stuff, just winning. That's great, Peter. Thank you very much for that advice. I'm sure there's plenty of Co- parent coaches and parents whose kids play tennis and they're not their coaches listening and there's a lot to be learned from today's episode I really enjoyed it so thank you very much thank you I really enjoyed it myself and uh, thank you for the wonderful questions and, and really just thank you for everything that you do for tennis you're a huge force in the tennis world and uh, you know that's that's an incredible thing that you're doing from that small rainy cloudy country that I hope to visit soon someday. Thank you. Yeah, well, let me let me know when you're over here. And yeah, we could be a while and we go for that Guinness. We could have a pint. There's nothing more than I like uh, one Guinness at the end of the day. That is, that is my dream to go to that factory in Dublin. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Peter. I learned a lot. And as a new parent, absolutely loved his parenting advice. If you know any tennis parents out there who don't listen to the podcast, please share this podcast with them. Finally, don't forget to head over to 
functionaltennis.com to check out our new on-court and off-court hats. And until next week, goodbye.